Hey everyone, welcome to An Idiot's Reading of the Bible. My name's Josh, I'm the idiot. Today we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 3. The book of Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist prepares the way. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Eturia, and the region of Traconitus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it was written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John preaches to the people. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone, or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one is mighty, one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. John baptizes Jesus. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. The Genealogy of Jesus Christ Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about thirty years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jana, the son of Joseph, the son of Matiatha, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Matathia, the son of Semai, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Joannes, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealitel, 
the son of Neri, the son of Melchai, the son of Adai, the son of Kosan, the son of Elmodon, the son of Er, the son of Jose, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meleah, the son of Menon, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Cainan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Cainan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. I'm not going to lie, it took me multiple takes to do that last section. I always find those genealogy chapters uh, very difficult to get through when I'm doing reading on my own and the name pronunciation is a little unfamiliar to say the least, getting into certain areas of those, um, but I've done my best with that. I uh, wanted to go through a few things in this chapter. First thing uh, is kind of a continuation from last episode. We have um, the establishment of John being in the wilderness. So although it doesn't say here, maybe we can assume that that's the desert, um, some other kind of wilderness. It mentions the desert in the previous chapter. But the concept of going into the wilderness, uh, going into a place of disorder or perhaps where natural process has fleshed itself out to be closer to God or to more readily receive God's message is a theme that seems like it's going to come up quite often uh, in, in the reading, whether that's the desert or some kind of other wilderness. And it seems like while John is out there, he's, he's, it says here preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So, uh, as a Catholic, I think I have a bit of a weird relationship with repentance. Um, as a young Catholic, I remember going to confession in, in Catholic school, and usually the repentance felt like uh, punishment. So you would go and you would tell the priest your sins, you would say an act of contrition, and you would be given some kind of uh, repentance to do uh, afterwards to sort of make up for the sin, or at least that was my understanding uh, as a younger child in, say, elementary school. And this always felt like a punishment because, you know, of course, you just wanted to leave mass and go play with your friends and enjoy uh, the rest of the day or the rest of the evening. But instead, you were stuck in a pew reciting uh, what what were more or less kind of uh, rote and, and kind of, in, in my estimation, empty prayers at that point as a, a young child. They don't have a lot of meaning, a lot of context to me. Uh, when I was younger. So that's that's kind of my early view of repentance. And I think that that's a cultural view of repentance too, especially for non-Christians that I have a, a lot of non-Christian friends that view repentance as some kind of 
self-punishment, some kind of self-flagellation, so to speak. And, and for that matter, friends that have been Catholic that have this extremely negative view of, of repentance. And I think a view that's pretty far off the mark in, in my opinion, at least from the limited Bible reading I've done. I don't know, maybe I'll revise that opinion once I get more into it. But I did a, some uh, looking into the meaning of repentance or the etymology of repentance. Let me pull that up real quick. All right, so the word repentance derives from the Greek metanoia. No idea if I'm pronouncing that right. And it means a afterthought or beyond thought. And you can break that word down into meta, which means after or beyond, and nous, which means mind. Uh, so going, going beyond the mind, going, going beyond thought. And so the limited definition I've looked up here says that that has to do with um, a change of heart, a spiritual conversion. Uh, that's not how I prefer to think of it, nor how I think those two words come together. If you're saying something is to go uh, beyond the mind, it's to go past reasoning and it's to somehow make a, a transformative um not only, not only a change of heart, but change of being, I would say. It's to uh, realize that one is in sin, that is uh, that you have committed sin or you are committing sin, and to reorient yourself towards at least expressing a desire or even taking worldly actions, not to absolve yourself of the sin through doing some kind of God-pleasing action, but to to, to orient your sense of being away from sin. So I, at least so far in my reading, interpret that as a, a turning away from sin, not in the very, very limited and, in my opinion, very low effort interpretation of um, sort of a self-flagellation, whether that be physical or, or mental. All right, popping down to verse 16 here. I'm going to read this small segment and then ramble out some thoughts on it. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So this is in response to people thinking that John might be the Christ. And this was alluded to, I spoke about this a little bit in the episode on uh, Luke chapter one, where John's birth story, the way he's, it's announced that he's coming, uh, even the way he's conceived is running really in parallel to the Jesus conception story as well. So I'm not obviously the only one that's noticed this. He's uh, facing these accusations himself. He's a holy man. He was conceived in an immaculate manner. Angels announced his coming. Miracles were done or signs to announce his coming, such as his father being rendered mute. And then as soon as he fulfills his uh, the prophecy set forth by Gabriel, he's able to talk again. So it, he's facing these accusations as well. And this is like maybe one of the most based lines in the Bible. Um, 
he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So this could be taken to mean a lot of things. But the fire, I think, is elaborated on when talking about the winnowing fan. Now, I, I don't know what a winnowing fan is. I suppose I could look that up real quick. I My hunch is that it's something, something to do with cleaning out um, a barn. Okay, so... Uh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, it's exactly what it says. So a winnowing fan, it looks like this kind of straw, like woven straw, almost shovel. If you could picture a lacrosse stick, instead of the net, you'd have woven straw and it's kind of flattened out and a little bit wider. It looks sort of like that and it's for separating the wheat from the chaff. So John is essentially announcing that the Christ is is coming and you need to repent or or else i suppose it doesn't really explain what that unquenchable fire is um but he is preaching repentance and and baptism as well and like we like we spoke about with repentance uh, that's a re, in our working definition uh, a re reorientation away from sin and and towards god so that's a a pretty pretty badass way to announce someone's arrival Top down now to verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. I don't really know what to, to make of this. Uh, obviously, this symbolism is quite, quite clear that, that Christ, during his uh, baptism, is, is the Son of God. Some voice from heaven, uh, uncredited speaks to him but i think we can also abstract from this if we're taking jesus to be the archetypal um ideal person for which we strive to be more like it's it's maybe saying that whether or not you hear the voice of god or you hear a voice from heaven god is well pleased with you if you try to be more like this man might be the understanding of that And just a, a quick mention here on the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. First off, I think it's cool. I don't know if I looked this up uh, last episode or an episode or two ago, but it explains that he actually started his ministry at 30 years of age. So I guess that means if you're under 30, you could still start start something great when you turn 30 because Jesus didn't start his uh, his ministry until then. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting tidbit. I didn't know that off of the top of my head. Uh, of course, I stumbled my way through the genealogy here, but you'll notice um, uh, quite a quite a few notable biblical names here. But the two salient features of this, I think, are that his lineage is traced to Adam, which is, of course, the son of God, and the Garden of Eden. Uh, but also something I, I mentioned with Luke 1 that is interesting is it, it this time period not not everyone could read or write. I'm not sure what literacy figures were at that point. I am guessing they were not very good. So if something was written down, it was probably important. And if somebody was able to write, I imagine that it must have been important for them to even think, okay, I, I should probably commit this to paper uh, because uh, 
maybe writing supplies were were expensive, a little bit more difficult to come by, at least more difficult than the modern world where we could just crap out a tweet or write into a notepad file or even type on our smartphone. The barrier to entry for writing something down is so low. And uh, of course, you end up with a, a lot of meaningless information, which is you know about 90, 99% of the internet. Um, but there are obviously trade-offs to that approach. But that being said, uh, things were not so easy to write down. And if they were going to be written down, the barrier to entry was quite high at Jesus's time. So they, they must have been important. And so obviously it's important to have uh, the genealogy of Christ set out here. And I think that that's interesting to see it traced all the way back to Adam. It's actually less names than you would expect. I don't know in sort of a historical understanding of the Bible, what year Adam would have been born in, but that might be interesting to know how many years this genealogy spans. Uh, My hunch is that if you were the descendant of someone living uh, around AD zero, um, and you traced your, let's say, patrilineal line, back to that person living in in the time of Jesus Christ. I think that the, the list just, you know, kind of spitballing, extrapolating out relationships between me and my great-great-grandparents and some ancestry research I've done. But my hunch is that it would be, the list would maybe be half this size. So that might be something interesting to look into. I'll probably hold off and, and dive more into that in Genesis, which is a, a book that I'd really like to Uh, dive into after covering some more of these synoptic gospels. But I think that's about all I have for today. Uh, This is an exciting setup to start, hopefully, in the next chapter, reading about Jesus's ministry or a little bit more about John the Baptist. Hope you enjoyed it and looking forward to chapter four tomorrow.